You're listening to Chicago Writes, a podcast of the Chicago Writers Association. announcements to top off 2022. Being called one of the very best writers conferences by the Writer Magazine two years in a row just wasn't good enough. The deadline has passed for the early bird special, but it's still not too late to secure your spot for the fourth annual Let's Just Write, an uncommon writers conference, March 25th and 26th, 2023 at the Warwick Allerton Hotel in downtown Chicago. On hand, we'll have five agents three traditional publishers looking for the next big book, ready to hear your five-minute pitch. Craft sessions, voice, plotting, and the importance of scene. Social media workshop, sessions on the legal aspects of writing. There will be a panel on poetry, fiction, nonfiction, oral history. You can find motivation, inspiration, and meet new friends. And a delicious blast for the Saturday banquet dinner. Need more reasons to attend the 4th Annual Let's Just Write, an Uncommon Writers Conference? In a piece for Writers Digest titled, Three Reasons Every Writer Should Go to a Writers Conference, writer Tomi Adeyemi says the number one reason is to learn. She writes, at every writers conference you have the opportunity to hear from the best-selling authors, top literary agents, and excellent editors who will demystify the publishing industry and give you great advice no matter where you are in your writing career or what you are currently struggling with. Every speaker is there to help you and answer any questions that you might have, whether it's during a panel or bumping into someone in the hallway. Number two, networking. She quotes James Dashner, author of the best-selling book series and multi-million dollar movie franchise, The Maze Runner, who said, Networking is key. Almost every author I know, and certainly myself included, can trace their publishing success back to someone they met at a writer's conference. If you want to get published, I can't think of any better advice. And finally, the pitch. If you want to be traditionally published, then you most likely want to get a literary agent. To sign with an agent, you need to send them a query letter, but agents can get up to 20,000 letters every year. With numbers like that, it helps to get in front of the agents with every opportunity that you have. At this year's conference, you'll have a five to 10 minute window to pitch your manuscript to an agent looking for new clients. In that time, you get to make your query letter come alive and show those agents why your manuscript is something they will want to read. And here's something I've learned from the film industry. Honing and practicing the pitch. You'll get just one chance face-to-face. Start out with the genre or subgenre, and maybe the age of the audience that you're appealing to. Show the agent or publisher that you know your market and can demonstrate some business acumen. Then, work out the best way to summarize your story in just a few succinct, punchy sentences and give your top selling points. Be prepared for questions like POV, what makes your story unique in the marketplace, your expertise, who your antagonist and protagonist are, and more. Writers' conferences are about contacts, not contracts. This is your time to connect with agents and editors to see who might be a good fit, kind of like speed dating. With a great story and a great pitch, you might just make a connection. And that connection could lead you to being named one of Chicago Writers Association's Book of the Year Award winners. A phenomenal selling point. A direct link to registration is in the notes below. Simply a click away. Or visit chicagorights.org. And speaking of the Book of the Year Awards winner, every year our CWA panel chooses four authors in the categories of traditional fiction and nonfiction and in indie fiction and nonfiction. I tried to pry loose the names of our winners a bit early, deciding the winners from an always strong field of author submissions always goes right up to the wire. Winners of this year's CWA Book Award winners will be announced on December 5th, so stay tuned. While submissions are currently closed for the 13th annual CWA Book of the Year Awards, if you recently published a book or are about to, get ready. 
Submissions will reopen again on June 1st. See chicagorights.org for details. And while we're here, congratulations to the CWA First Chapter winners. First place, Think Fast by Tom Parmakis. Eternity by Amy Strong gets second place. Third place, I Swallowed the Sun by Lydia Rogers. Honorable Mentions, The Seeker by Ruth Horn. Dare Diary by Mary Beth Lang. And Rooting for Time by Rebecca Krantz. Congratulations to all those great writers. Happy Holidays from everyone at Chicago Writers Association. Out of ideas for the perfect gift to surprise the writer in your life? How about a membership to the Chicago Writers Association and unlock a wealth of writing and publishing resources and benefits for just $25 for a year? A CWA membership makes a great and thoughtful gift. Visit chicagorights.org to get started. According to Open Education Database, OEDB.org, there were just over 12,000 bookstores in the U.S. in 1997, the heyday for corporate retailers like Borders and Barnes & Noble. Borders peaked at 1,100 stores in 1995. With the rise of Amazon, Borders cashed in their chips and walked away from the market. For those who would declare bookstores a thing of the past, however, today there are still 10,800 bookstores in the U.S., this in a time of Amazon. While Barnes & Noble has cut back its retail locations to just 588, that means there has been a net gain in not only bookstores, but in leaner and more competitive independent bookstores. The independent bookstore means far more to their communities as well as for authors. We thought we'd explore that relationship, and if brick-and-mortar retail stores are the best option for self-published authors, as well as the challenges independent bookstores face in our ever-changing world. In the heart of Chicago's Lincoln Square neighborhood, once known as Germantown for its German pubs, restaurants, the Donk House, and apothecary and shops, is an oasis for book lovers. The bookseller, spelled C-E-L-L-A-R, is an independently owned, community-oriented bookstore located at 4736 North Lincoln Avenue, They are open 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Did I get that right, uh, Susan? Yep. Okay. All right. They're open 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. daily. Find the bookseller online at booksellerinc.com. Their telephone number is 773-293-2665. If you didn't get that, I will post it in the notes below. Susie Takas is the owner of the bookseller in Chicago, and she joins us via Zoom. Welcome to Chicago Right, Susie. (laughs) Thank you so much for including me. And just a, a little brief correction. On Saturday, we're only open till six. Okay. And on Sunday, we're open till four. But all during the week, it's 10 to eight. So. As it should be on Saturdays yeah. and Sundays. <laughs> People have, have lives and families these days. Yeah, we do. So I hear. And we have to read. We have to have time to read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you pronounce your last name Takac? You can. It's Hungarian. But I usually say Takis. But either way, it's correct. Have you been to Hungary? I have, yeah. Nice. I think Budapest, I don't know. I think it rivals Paris. The the octagon and yeah, it's a, the yeah. it's it, it's an incredible place. I spent a lot of time there in the uh, in the nineties. Oh, you're so and lucky. I used to manage a Burger King in college many, 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 many years ago, and stumbled into. Uh, and I, uh, was it was it off of Rakutsiutska? I, I, I'm trying I'm trying to remember. But I was staying in in a in a hotel downtown, and downstairs was a restaurant called Chicago that was uh, was decorated in in the Chicago motif because a retired Hungarian Chicago cop moved back to Budapest and opened this place. No way. They they made beer in the restaurant. And uh, the ba- the bathrooms were downstairs with these beautiful old ancient arches, and uh, there was a meeting going on in one of the rooms, and and I walked by, and when I was coming out of the out of the restroom, a guy grabbed me, and said, "What the hell are you doing in Budapest?" This was 90, uh, 92 or ninety three, and, and and it was it was 
a guy named Rick Lucky, who was uh, who was the district manager of the Burger King that I managed. And you just uh, ran into him randomly. I just ran into him randomly. That is crazy! Wow. Mm-hmm. I love Budapest. I got there. I love it. I had the best chocolate croissant of my life there. Really? Wow. Yeah, it is so beautiful. The building, the architecture, yeah, everything. Yeah, I, I got there Those right. Hungarians, they love their flag. Every building looks like a um, yeah. because they all have huge flags. <laughs> well, I used to, I used to love, uh, I used to love going through the through the old cemeteries and. Uh, the train to the central train station downtown um, was just a great place to people watch for a writer. I got there right after the wall came down, so you still had you still had some of the some of the lingering effects of you know of communism uh, and and that that awkward transition to right. to, to right. A capitalist society. Like, when I was there, I'm trying yeah. to think what year I was there. It was like probably 2008. Okay. I, I was like the only smiling person on the street. Like the people are quite serious. <laughs> like the remnants of the communist rule were definitely Budapest. Man, it's uh, it, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. Uh, so Takas, Takas, you prefer? Takas, yeah. Takas, like, okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I I, I come to this uh, having uh, having managed to crown books in the eighties. I I understand the need to to read what you sell and have a a working knowledge of really all the books that are in in your store is is that still the case i find it to be the case i mean i clearly cannot read all the books that are in my store yeah i pay attention to you know what is popular Mm -hmm. Um, everybody that works here kind of has their favorites that they love to hand sell and that is greatly encouraged Mm -hmm. Um, and when I meet with my sales reps, they keep me abreast of what is coming up in the future and what things are maybe getting a spark in the media okay. or on TikTok or wherever, wherever they're getting their spark. Certain book groups by celebrities sometimes wow. will give a book a little boost. Yeah, you have to know a little bit about everything, I would say. Publisher reps used to used to give us advance uh, advanced copies of, of books. I remember getting, and I God, I wish I still had it, an uncorrected version of A Handmaid's Tale. Oh my uh, god! When it when it just came out, and I, I was telling my staff, this will be a classic one day. Some of them believed me. Some of them went, yeah, or you said that about a thousand different books. But do they still do that? They do. Um, that is one of the job perks, I would have to say. Uh-huh. It's not your highest paying job you'll ever have, but it is nice to have advanced reader copies. I remember like when I first opened the store, receiving an advanced reader copy by Suzanne Collins, you know, mm-hmm. the kids mm-hmm. killing kids. And I was like, oh my goodness, like, how am I going to hand sell this? It's kids killing kids. And next thing you know, every I didn't have to hand sell it. Every single customer in, in the store was purchasing that book. When I was managing bookstores, you know, Oprah's reading list was was hot. If she mentioned it, we were assured to get calls later on that day and through the week for for that book. Who is uh, or or what is the the biggest driver of uh, of bestsellers of of word of mouth? For us, I find it to be NPR. Like people mm. will stop in and they'll be like, I was listening to the Terry Gross, or I was listening to the radio, and mm-hmm. they talked about this book or that book. That definitely has a, a big influence. Did I see correctly? You opened the store in 2004, right? Yes. What made you decide to open an indie bookstore uh, with all the doom and gloom prognostications? And why Lincoln Square back then when it was German shops and restaurants? Well, where were my friends and why didn't they stop me? (laughs) I had this bee in my bonnet. I was a women's healthcare nurse practitioner and Mm -hmm. I live, I don't live in Lincoln Square, but I live like, like a mile and a half from here. And in this general i was an avid reader books and wine were my two favorite things wow i was like we could really use a bookstore uh-huh. in this part of town i, I and thought, a good glass of wine 
and a good glass of wine. And so I had a meeting with the alderman at that time, it was Alderman Chilter and the president of the Chamber of Commerce for Lincoln Square, North Center and Ravenswood. Mm -hmm. And um, I had a business plan and I sat down with them and I said, you know, I have this idea. I'd really like to open a bookstore. And Alderman Schulter was like, well, as a matter of fact, we are actively trying to recruit a bookstore. The neighbors have been requesting one. So it was just kind of serendipitous timing that I had this idea. I didn't have any little kids so I could be riskier with my time and my money. And it was a steep, steep learning curve, but I took a year to do everything I could to get plans and permits mm -hmm. and learn. There's actually a book, how to open, open a bookstore, attended conferences. I spent time with at Women and Children's First. And I spent time at yeah. a bookstore in Michigan just to learn different elements of the business. And there it goes. <laughs> you you didn't have any uh, any experience with, uh, with bookstores prior to this? I did not. Wow. I just had a love of reading. Um, I mean, since childhood, really. Gutsy, and, and you decided to open yeah, the but I have great support from the community, and I yeah. believe from the bottom of my heart, that's why we're still standing today. Mm -hmm. um, the community really wanted a bookstore at that time, and the alderman was supportive of that mm -hmm. endeavor. And so I just found a retail space, built out the space, bought a bunch of books and some shopping and had to learn and, a little bit about counting a retail drawer and and chairs a lot of a lot of things go into opening a a contemporary independent bookstore some of that was pioneered or touched upon you know the the cafe and a store seating and 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 lounge areas by used bookstores and and uh, sort of legacy independent bookstores you guys have built that into a beautiful beautiful space oh thank you well the space now like it was beautiful space and it's still really great space however mm -hmm. it's almost 20 years old like like it just you know like as things do it when I first opened, Borders was kind of plopping down, trying to close independent bookstores. Uh -huh. And many, many customers would tell me like, what well, Borders I get 30% off. And, I'd, and I would say to them, if I had that business plan, I would be closed. And then yeah. sure enough, not much longer. And, and they were closed too. Like, they were gone. Discount, it, you just can't sustain that. You know, then it was kind of the recession, 2008. Yeah. And then it was the ebook it's kind of been thing after thing and now i would say the greatest challenge is probably amazon it is true for for retail and independent retail it's, it's a bit predatory in the room yeah. <laughs> but it's yeah. a different type of shopping it's a different experience and they they tried their hand at bricks and mortar and i don't think they're so great at it uh given giving all that and covid and inflation right now because i think a lot of people assume that or consider books to be a discretionary item. I think I think a lot of people listening to this, myself and and probably you, would consider books a a mandatory item. Yeah, I've I've got I've got a huge a huge wall full of books and and then bins full of books in in the in in our storage. But how are you doing through all of this? So I would say we're steady as she goes. Like we're not okay. back pre-COVID experiences, but we did a lot of events. We sold mm -hmm. books at offsite events. So mm -hmm. played, you know, places other than my store for large conferences. And um, and then we sold books in the store. We had events almost every night and large events. And um, so we're not quite back to that. So mm -hmm. I guess I can't expect the volume, you know, until, until we can do that again. But we're creeping toward it. And um, the store is busy with walking traffic, you know, Lincoln Square, we don't have the brow house any longer, but we do right. have charming little shops and restaurants that continue. And there's lots of walking traffic, lots of support from the community. That's a great area. We used to live over in that area and uh, and loved, loved, loved the shops along that street and and loved the, and, and uh, we're still really excited to see that that the momentum is there to keep it, keep it vibrant, keep those shops open. And yes. yeah, this yeah. is a very special little spot in the city. I, you it know, really I don't is. really know of another quite like it. So yeah. Yeah. 
In the introduction, I broke down the numbers of bookstores across the U.S. Was I correct in saying that you are leaner and more competitive and focused on your community where those large retailers and Amazon fail? I, I think that's a correct assessment in my shopping experience. Mm -hmm. um, when you go to an independent restaurant or an independent shop whosoever shop that is or restaurant that is it's their livelihood mm -hmm. and so um it's important to them that you have a good experience like we do need the larger retail bookshops just because there isn't i mean my my space is small i don't have room for even one copy of every book that is published <laughs> in a year yeah you know? so yeah. um I, i'm not even sure the size of that bookstore that could accommodate that <laughs> so we do need larger retail spaces so we everybody can have a chance to have their book um, available I, I i read a figure of four million books are published annually in this country that uh, 1.7 million of those up from 600,000 when uh when the the self-publishing industry began 1.7 million of those books are self-published books so it's an incredible number and that doesn't that doesn't include ebooks and and audiobooks and we'll we'll touch on that it's a printed book what have you been doing to innovate in the market remain viable and remain in business you know we started out this way and and i still stand by it it's the hand sell it's the interaction it's the conversation about books when you come here we we like to talk about that. yeah <laughs> about things that we're reading things that we think you might like to read i mean that's part of the fun of the holiday season is finding the perfect gift for somebody's uncle Indeed. or child or um and a book as you were saying like discretionary or necessity mm -hmm. a book is portable thoughtful special gift especially we have a lot of signed copies of books those are very special gifts and and i think that's part of the charm that's what makes it special again i i said in the in the 80s i spent a number of years managing uh, crown books um, so I come to this from from that perspective, as well as as an author. There's a lot that goes into running uh, a, a, a bookstore, and, and we didn't have cafes uh, when I was uh, when I was managing bookstores. You have a you have a cafe, a wine bar, in um, yeah. We yeah. serve wine and beer, and that was my initial idea. At that time, Barnes and Noble and Borders usually paired up with Starbucks, but they. They did have a cafe mm -hmm. and I wanted to do that too, but I wasn't much of a coffee drinker. I've never been much of a coffee drinker. And at some point in the day, switch from coffee to mm -hmm. wine, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. And I can very much speak to the fact that most like book groups, it's about having a glass of wine when you talk about the book yeah. or a beer when you talk about the book. And when we host author events, many times people like to enjoy a beverage as they're listening to the author talk about their books. So it just seems like a perfect match to have a little cafe. And then in the money aspect of it, it gave me a space to host an event. Mm -hmm. But while there wasn't an event, it generated a little bit of money because yeah. people would have a coffee or a, a baked good or something to that effect. And then when we had an event, we'd rearrange all the furniture a bunch of people would sit down and and there it goes so it worked for me in, in both of those regards we haven't resumed our food service yet okay. we are just doing drinks but i imagine in the new year it's just every time i'm ready to add the food to the equation something happens with COVID. And oh, like, oh yeah. no not again <laughs> uh but so. but if you if you if you handed out slippers uh, i would never leave the store i know <laughs> amy guth uh, in a piece in the Chicago Tribune on October 3rd, 2009, said this about you. Open every day. Local readers are welcome to both the big comfy armchairs nestled into the various corners and nooks of the, of the shop, as well as the cafe of the bookseller to browse, read, relax, enjoy. You really have to be integrated deeply within your community, right? Definitely. With its various schools. Mm-hmm. Um, They'll send me their summer reading list and I'll try to keep those titles in stock. Or if they have a book group that they're reading something special, try yeah. to keep those titles in stock. 
um, a lot of the theaters and schools have requests for their silent auctions that we try to participate yeah. with. Um, and just, I have to say the Chamber of Commerce and the local businesses, I feel like it's a tight community. We all enjoy each other. We visit each other's shops for business. Mm -hmm. we, we do like the wine stroll, the apple fest, we participate in all the yeah. different chamber events. The farmer's garden over there, uh, oh, a block away from you. Yeah. It's really all about the community, I would mm -hmm. say. I brought that up because of this, and, and we're really making the case you're a necessary community center. Uh, I saw on your website at bookseller uh, booksellerinc.com, you have a Desi Lit book club a salon for classics, a racial justice book club, and, and a number a number of others that make you this magnet for community issues, community affirming issues. How about that? It's important that you reflect the demographic of your community and mm -hmm. your store, um, that the books have a wide variety of authorship, and it's important to have lots of different discussions mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, try to maintain like that openness yeah of various topics the racial justice book group was born during covid mm -hmm. and black lives matter and a customer requested it and i wasn't 100 percent sure i was smart enough or or knowledgeable enough to lead it but i said let's try it let's do it we can read the same book and discuss it mm -hmm. uh, and, and and that was wonderful. And they've since that time have just continued on their own. Yeah, um, I think I think it's just being open to ideas. I think that's like okay. The outreach or or what what is your outreach or selling strategy to marginalized and and minority communities? We have a very very dear friend who's part of the Chicago Writers Association. She's also running for. Uh, Water Reclamation District uh, Commissioner, um, Tennille Jackson, has made a career years of promoting Black authors, but getting those authors over the hump to the mainstream and not strictly categorized as Black authors is a bit of a challenge. So markets, the book industry is, is sort of the same way, tends to pigeonhole everybody into into these these genres and if you're if you're considered a black a black author then that might be how you were promoted in the marketplace I, i'd love you to speak to maybe something something that that you do in in reaching minority and marginalized communities as a seller as a bookseller mm -hmm. well i think in a very simple way i try not to categorize by genre too much mm -hmm. like i try to have the table just be the table it's not the table it's just what is new yeah. it's a black author next to a national author next to a local author everybody together and, and we talk about this all the time amongst the staff because they're like should we have the romance on a certain shelf or should we have the LGBTQ on a certain shelf? And I said, well, sometimes if everything if fiction is shoved together, other people will find things that they may not find yeah. if something is on a separate shelf. And I think that that it's always up for discussion. We talk about this mm -hmm. all the time, like how should we go about this? But I, I like to think that the way we have our books shelved makes it more approachable and findable for everybody. Mm -hmm. There's been different opportunities where you could send a case of books to different schools in a different neighborhood than Lincoln Square. Yeah. Uh, I just helped one of my friends, a librarian, orchestrate uh, author event with e-viewing for her, for her school that is not in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Any opportunity or any ask that I get, I try to make sure that we take that opportunity that chance to to be of help so. that really difficult demographic or category to reach young people most books probably and and you can correct me um if i'm wrong in this but probably the the lion's share of books are purchased by people 40 and up maybe but i don't know i think yeah. we have a lot of young people shopping in the store great again it could just 
be the neighborhood and who lives here. I, you know, I've never counted or I've never mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. done the actual specifics of that. But just as I'm here day by day, I, I feel like I interact. I mean, that's part of why I love this job. I feel like it keeps me youthful and in contact and in touch with young young thoughts and young people and young ideas and what is going on. Otherwise, I don't know how I would know. <laughs> I'm not in the marketplace. I go to bookstores. There's half-price books we, we go to uh, regularly as well. And, and there, there are young people there. I hosted an event one time at Everybody's Coffee, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. there were 400 young people. <laughs> and I had no idea. The publisher nice. was busy, will you do this? And I'm like, absolutely. You know, again, it's just being mm -hmm. willing to do the ask. So mm -hmm. we had 400 young people, and, and the parents yeah. brought them. And I was like, I had no idea this was a thing. Yeah, but it's a huge thing. Yeah, uh, again, when I when I brought when, when I was researching the numbers and looking looking at the net gain of of independent bookstores after after the the big market shakeouts, there are so many there are so many articles and there are so many quote unquote industry analysts or industry experts who say the book business is dying. It's a it, you know it, it's a difficult market, but then. Every time I talk to somebody who who runs a bookstore like you, I hear an entirely opposite view. I have to agree. I just hosted a book event for Malier for a new yeah. cookbook in the store. Malier is a young woman. She has two very young little children and she writes cookbooks. She's got a lot of energy, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. some of the, the people most excited to be in line to meet Molly and get their book signed were little bitties. She was maybe eight years old and she had her, you know, <laughs> fancy dress on and she was like all ready to see Molly. And Whoa. so, and that's young, young, but I think, I, I don't think that it's just a 40 or 50 and older thing. I think it's for everybody. And, I think and it depends yeah. how your household is, you know, clearly that child's mother, you know, is showing her different, different books and different shows mm -hmm. and different things so i've always been to the opinion I, I i had a book in my hand at a very very young age so that sort of spiritual ownership is so so important in the upbringing of a child and nurturing a child to to not only reading but valuing uh, books. I totally agree. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. that it's important that children start early with books. Do you see, are you able to see trends in uh, in publishing or what people are are reading, what, what's coming, coming around the bend next? I do. Well, because of the, just like the buying calendar right now, yeah, all yeah. my appointments are for spring. So I kind of see what's on the horizon. And um, if you're going to ask me to remember what that is, off the top, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to do it. But, you know, like it's whatever, six to nine months in advance of when the books come is when yeah. you're actually buying them. And you remember that from your crown days, I'm sure. And that's, that's another thing that I love about having a bookstore is I love to know what's on the horizon. I love to know who has a new book coming and what to be excited about. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if that answered your question, but it, it did. Audiobooks and, and eBooks have become such a big part of the, of the market. The U S audiobook revenue reached uh, $1.3 billion in 2020, which was an increase of 12% from the from the year prior. Still, as, as a share of the overall market, it's still relatively the same um, because the market has has grown in, uh, the book market has grown in, in relation. But that, that revenue figure of 1.3 billion is, is hard to ignore. What, what do you guys do or 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 think in particular of uh, of audiobooks and ebooks for the audiobooks it's easy um okay. on our website we have yep. a link to libro yeah um, and you can purchase a, a libro audiobook and we would get a portion of that sale mm -hmm. there's definitely people that commute or spend time in a car on a road trip just recently i went to st louis to a conference a book conference with uh -huh two staff member from my store and we listened to Louise Erdrich and her book Sentence. And that was a great way to pass five hours on I-55. 
and, and I get it. And so that that's all you have to do is we definitely are all in with Libro. The ebook we started, you know, and that was quite interesting. A lot of people at the time were like, oh no, people will not want to carry a book. They're going to yeah. want an ebook. And I think, I think people kind of do a hybrid, you know, there's books that you collect yeah. um, that are on your shelf that might be signed. And then there's books that you consume. Like if you read all eight of a series or something like that could mm -hmm. be an ebook. And we initially started with Kobo. If you bought the ebook from them, we like the Libro got a portion of the sales. And I'm not sure that that is still in effect the way it was at the beginning, but um, you know, I see a place for it. I think the early adapters yeah. have yeah. for sure adapted by now, <laughs> but I think most people do a little bit of each. So it doesn't, it doesn't bother me in the big scheme of things. Which brings up an interesting question uh, just off of that. When you said people tend to consume books and, and then have books that, uh, that they want to, uh, they want to collect. Is that a marketing strategy for, for the bookseller? Well, it is in the regard that we have a lot of signed copies. Okay. I, I okay. often try to have signed stock if, if I can, uh -huh. um, because I think it makes a book a treasure or a uh -huh. gift or a collectible. And, and there's a certain specialness about that. Yeah, yeah. Back to Amy Guth's piece in the uh, in the Tribune. She writes, uh, the, the neighborhood gathering spot makes so no secret of its support for local small press authors and publishers, including a monthly author night on its impressive calendar of, of events. That, that, is that still going on? We had a local author night in October. We used okay. to have it the third Wednesday of every mm -hmm. month, and we have mm -hmm. not resumed that since um, COVID. COVID, right. But, um, but we did do it in October and it was really well attended. Uh, it was a really lovely evening. We had four authors um, that talked at that event. Um, and it seemed a good way to give local authors the stage and mm -hmm. the opportunity to talk about their book. Um, and if each, like I never tried to have a specific theme or genre, it could be poetry or mystery or fiction or memoir. And you would maybe hear about something that you wouldn't choose for yourself, yeah. Yeah. but now it's something new. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I get to see, uh, as part of the Chicago Writers Association, I get to see their, their book of the year award winners and their first chapter contest winners. Um, there, there are some amazing, amazing writers locally here. True story. Yep. And that's how I always start my introduction at local author night is the person behind you and Jewel could be like a, this published author. Things can get complicated from here. How do you buy books from a local author or from, from a self-published author for self-published writers in particular? The why or why not of placing their book in a, um, in a brick and mortar store, the do's and don'ts and when and when not to. Okay. I'll, I'll try to speak to all of that. And I'll just start by saying that you mentioned 1.7 million books were published. Yes. Self-published authors. Mm -hmm. So there's a great number of them. And um, I'm guessing you, you, you can probably handle 10 or maybe 15,000 titles store-wide. Is that correct? That's, that's a pretty good guess. Yeah. yeah. So for me, I, try, I have to narrow that down somehow. So most of the time, it's somebody who lives in the neighborhood or somebody who shops at my store mm -hmm. or someone who comes to our events frequently. Mm -hmm. So if I know this person and then they're like, oh my gosh, Susie, guess what? I just published this book and I would like to have a launch. Um, I mean, this happened just last week. This woman had a launch at the hideout and she needed someone to sell her book. And we did that for her and that was all great. Or we have a local author down the street who has a new picture book coming out. And so we're also hosting an event for that. So that's how I narrow it down is kind of, for lack of a better way, like kind of where you live. Are you my neighborhood? Yeah. Am I your neighborhood store? Well, mm -hmm. then that's kind of my purpose that I, ideologically, that's kind of what I'm for. The how to, it's easiest, like I can't spend like 90% of the energy for 10% of the, yeah. of the books. So if the book is available 
and like Ingram where I can pay for it and order it mm -hmm. with other books that I'm paying for and ordering, that makes things a lot easier yeah. um, than having to get an invoice from an author. Mm -hmm. um, but I can get an invoice from an author, but then I have spent a lot of time teaching authors how to create an invoice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in my opinion, if you want to sell something, you need to know how to make an invoice. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's not hard, but that would be a first step. If I'm going to buy 10 of your books, or if I'm going to have five of your books on my shelf for a year, and I sold three of them, and you want the money for those three, then yeah. you need to be able to send me an invoice. I need the author to follow up. Like they're on the shelf amongst the 15,000 books. So yeah, like if yeah. every six months you just emailed and said, hey, Susie, how many have you sold? I, I could look that up quite easily and, mm -hmm. and we could exchange information in that way. And the other thing is if it's on your website as an author, like if you like a copy of my book, you can find one at the bookseller and it, it's, it's signed. So <laughs> I, I threw out that number of 10 or 15,000 titles, which is which is daunting in and, in and of itself. You're not able to to judge every self-published book on merit and content and quality and editing, which in, in comparison to the big publishers or, or, or to, to formal publishers that, that has a marketing department and an editing department and, uh, and art, that that quality can fall off very, very quickly. Uh, how, how do you make that judgment? Yeah, that's a very tricky thing. And if yeah. you have any good ideas for that, I greatly appreciate them. I mean, just beginning with the packaging, sometimes people will hand me a book that doesn't have like a spine. And just to put that on the shelf without yeah. being able to read a title is is super challenging to sell a book in, in, in that style. I just give it a, a time, a time frame. Like mm -hmm. I'll take this book, I'll take two copies for six months and then if they haven't sold, then you need to take them back. I can't read them all and I can't edit them all for sure. <laughs> um, and I would not be the person that you would want to do that anyway. <laughs> yeah, but, but given that number of 1.7 million self-published books uh, that are that are uh, are published each year, that's got to be, that, that still has to be really overwhelming. Yes. Yeah. Again, I, the best I can do is just like who lives down the street Mm -hmm. who shops in my store yeah who comes to my events that that's the best i can do you you sort of become the gatekeeper for for information in, in the community if if someone comes to you a book about growing up transgender there's value in that but if uh if bubba from arkansas wants to sell sell his how to be a better nazi in 30 days book uh that probably isn't making it on your shelf no well <laughs> yeah he doesn't live down the street, but you know, like it's a, it's a delicate balance to walk the line and not censor what is there, what is not there, but yeah. it also has to um, kind of uphold how I feel about my store and what the okay. store stands for. Okay. But like, I'm sure there is a book on the shelf in the store that I haven't read that maybe would make a misstep toward what I really think. I have to be honest, I just do the best I can. And that's yeah. also where staff has helped me a lot. One person will say, I read on Instagram that yeah. this particular author had said this particular thing, mm -hmm. and I don't know that we should have this. And I'm like, great, thanks for letting me know. I'm with you, um, but let's not let's not sell that book. So, it, so, so, part, so part of that has to do with uh, with the community engagement, right? Yeah, I mean, the, it has to be it has to be a, a conversation between between you and the and the community for you to make the best possible judgment uh, for your business. That is correct. Yeah, yeah. Where is the line for the bookseller between the unrestricted flow uh, of information and, and what is perhaps reductive to the community or, or the community as, as you see it, you know, something, something that's, that's community affirming versus something that's not community affirming. Is there a line there? Well, I think the line would have to be fluid mm -hmm. as with many things or anything. Like I don't want to be hurtful or harmful to someone 
Yeah. So if someone expressed hurt or harm that 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 would cause them hurt or harm, like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would be happy to address that. Okay. You know that that would not be my goal at yeah. all. I need the conversation. Like I would never purposely do it. So if yeah. I did it, if someone could just have the conversation with me, we could. But you know, you don't shy away from that conversation. Oh no, that's what we're for. That's what a bookstore is for. Is for starting conversation. Oh, I love that. I love that. that's that's going to be that's going to be the banner line here. <laughs> <laughs> the bookstore should be neutral ground, but. It, is that possible in our current in, environment? How does Susie, the owner of the bookseller, sidestep the those those partisan minefields? Oh wow, that's a good question. Again, I, I guess, especially with political books, it's so hard. Yeah. Um, and after a while, there there was just one particular person that I was like, I just can't do another book about this. <laughs> I just can't. <laughs> like I just and I was kind of done um on that topic. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um and that was my own personal topic. I think I just decided it's my sandbox and I'm done with that person. Like I don't know. I would just tell you that I try to make the the best choice. And if it's not a good choice, if someone wants to talk about it, I'm happy to have the conversation and yeah. And I, and I would like it to be lively and there should be different points of view. And then I learn more. I learn personally more about what is what is the topic of conversation or what is the current the current thought process of the neighborhood. So mm -hmm. but uh, but conversation is uh, is the key. I think so. And the reason I asked you that was not to uh, to put you on the spot, but I, I pay probably far more attention to politics than than most people. So I hear these stories, particularly on the right, of this book. This book didn't what uh, wasn't on the shelf at my Target. So there's a calling campaign to uh, to have everybody call Target and and get this book on the shelves force that that book on the shelves regardless of how vile or how nasty it is but there's that effort and i, I i'm sure if the left had had the media presence that the right monopolizes in in our in our current media environment they they might do that as well with with political oriented books so yeah and yeah a demographic like who is shopping here and what titles sell and a book needs to earn its spot on the shelf it needs to sell five times in a year to earn its spot on the shelf you know and i might not sell five moby dick a year but i feel like moby <laughs> dick is like a critical book in a bookstore so i probably have it is. It. but i mean for other books i'm happy to special order anything mm -hmm anything special the the bookseller has coming up for for the holidays or going into the holidays oh sure um so the saturday after thanksgiving is small business saturday mm -hmm. and we always do draw for discounts on that day which is a lot of fun um and the chamber of commerce has shopped late lincoln square on the 8th and um who what's the other date the 8th and the 15th i believe nice very nice um and so there will be specials in in those regards. And we mm -hmm. for Shop Late Lincoln Square, we raffle the leg lamp from a Christmas story. So if you're interested, it was a huge success last year. So we're going to do it again. And and by the way, I would encourage anyone anywhere to make a trip to to Lincoln Square for the holidays. You guys decorate it so beautifully. Oh, um, there's that tree in the square. And it's a winter wonderland. It is so it is. cute here. It is just, yeah. Especially if we get a little snow and a little fallen, a new fallen snow right, right at the holidays. It, it's kind of postcard. It is very postcard. It's, um, I love it. It's, it's, it's lovely. In the heart of Chicago's Lincoln Square neighborhood is an oasis for book lovers. The bookseller, spelled C E L L A R is an independently owned community-oriented bookstore located in the heart of Lincoln Square. They're at 4736 through 38. 
North Lincoln Avenue in Chicago. They're open almost daily from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m., but uh, there are weekend hours, 10 to 6 on Saturday and 10 to 4 on Sunday, right? Perfect. All right. Uh, find the bookseller online at booksellerinc.com. By the way, are, are you, do you have any connection? There's a, there's a number of booksellers uh, around the country. Uh, do you have any connection to those? I don't, and we often get... <laughs> like customers that are like, oh, I thought you had this, or I thought you did this. So yeah, when I opened my store, I didn't know, I, I don't know that other stores had the same name, so. Where where did the name come from? It came from, my husband thought of it, because we were trying to think of a way to represent the wine and the books together. So the seller part refers to the wine part. and. There you go. You can reach them again at, at booksellerinc.com. Uh, 773-293-2665 is the number. Susie Takis is the, the owner. Or Takic, if you if you prefer the Hungarian. I'm going to go with the Hungarian. Go uh, Hungarian. <laughs> is the owner of the bookseller. Thank you so much. This was great. Oh, is it? It was a real joy. Thank you. For and uh, we, we may have you back to, to, to teach a class on invoices. <laughs> Perfect. And before we go, I was delighted that Rick Kempfer and Dave Stern had a personal friend of mine, Paul Michael Glazer, from the classic Starsky and Hutch TV series on their Minutia Men podcast. Incidentally, Paul Michael Glazer is also an author and wrote an exceptional adventure about a brave young girl called Crystalia and the Source of Light. Also recommended the true story of Elizabeth Glazer's courageous and headline-making battle with AIDS, called In the Absence of Angels. Here's a bit of that conversation. The Tony Lasano podcast, Opie Show, on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead; it just moved to a better place. RadioMisfits.com. And we're back. All right, so another uh, another interview that would have come up this week uh, is because of Paul Michael Glazer, who played Starsky. Mm -hmm. Starsky celebrated a birthday March 25th. Is he 80? No. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know how old he is. He probably wouldn't want a saying anyway. But uh, You can look up on Wikipedia. Yeah, so it's, it's there. Uh, it's out there. Uh, happy birthday to Starsky. And I, we totally geeked out oh on him. Oh, my God, yeah. I think he enjoyed that interview because we well, were pathetic. Well, I think... If I remember correctly, this was when we were broadcasting from your mom's basement, wasn't it? Possibly. And you had still the books, the Starsky and Husk Touch. That's right. Like murder mystery books or whatever. That comes yeah. up in this clip. <laughs> if you would like to hear it, let's play some of that uh, interview from Paul Michael Glazer. <laughs> you guys were huge stars, obviously, you know, David David, and, uh, and you. But probably maybe not quite as big of a star, that car, the, Grand, the Ford Grand Torino. I mean, I was a... I, don't know, I was like 12 years old yeah. at the time, and I was just like, "Man, that car is that so red awesome!" Car with the with the white stripe on yeah. it, it and was it, the coolest thing. You broke a few traffic laws too, if I remember correctly, <laughs> while you were driving. Did you ever? What, did you ever get to really drive the car? I mean, it looked like you did. I did. I, I did a fair amount of the driving. Uh, Charlie Paterni, who was our stunt coordinator, uh, you know, uh, filled me in on what I couldn't do, and told you know, taught me a lot. And, uh, you know, I, I did a lot of the driving. Uh, <laughs> David was a little beside himself sometimes because, uh, you know, we were on a, we had a bench seat. We didn't have bucket seats. Oh, oh really? And so, <laughs> right. So if I took a hard left, hard right turn. He's in your lap, right? Lap. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was good that you're close then, right? You got a good working relationship. You know, I, I'm almost embarrassed to tell you how big of a fan I was of this show. I not only watch the show in German every week, I bought the books. Do you remember this? They were Starsky and Hutch books, which were like PG-13 novelized versions of episodes of the show, I guess. And one year, I, do you remember those? Yeah. No, I don't. <laughs> See, this is something. Well, Rick still has them in his yeah. mom's basement. I he'll, do. Say, he'll send them to you. I do. And you probably got no money from that either. <laughs> But anyway, one year I tried to correct. <laughs> I tried to submit one of those as a as like a book report in junior high, and the and the teacher said that it did not qualify as literature. <laughs> that pitch. <laughs> so maybe you weren't missing anything by not reading the books. But I enjoyed them well, when I was thirteen. Well, I still yeah. see you know when we go to like a, a garage sale or whatever a Starsky and Husk, Hutch. Uh, 
you know, lunchbox or something, or, you know, it's, there was the merchandise, there was a ton of stuff out there. Yeah, there was a lot of merchandise going on, um, which is what they do, yeah. you know, and at that time, you know, there was only three networks. Right. So, uh, did so you get a piece you of, a did you get a piece of any of that? Well, let's say I took the producers to court after the first uh -huh. year because they were playing their games and, um, I, uh, uh, you know, subsequently, uh, I, 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 I didn't do too well. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I think we, uh, we owe it to send these books to you. Yeah. I think. And we did, didn't I we? Think, I think yeah. we did. Yeah. We sent him, uh, we sent him the book. That's, uh, Paul Michael Glazer, Starsky. Happy birthday mm -hmm. to him. And you can always comment on our Minutiaman Instagram page. Don't ask me how many. I'm not mm -hmm. going to tell you. Minutiaman Official, it's called. Follow that page. We just started it uh, not too long ago. You can also contact us on Twitter, at Minutiaman. Mm -hmm. Dave is our uh, Twitter commando. Mm -hmm. I've been kind of falling a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I've got to start doing that. You can also that. email us at minutiamanpodcast at gmail.com. You can check out our publishing company at Cards Press. Follow along with 40 years of Rick and Dave. Go to my blog, rickkemper.blogspot.com, and there's an email link there, too. Special thanks to our executive producer, Tony Lasada with Opie Shows. O-P-P-I-H-Shows.com. Mm -hmm. uh, we're distributed by Ed Silla with Radio Misfits. Great Talk Radio isn't dead. Just move to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. And we'll be back again next week with a brand new episode of Minutiaman. The proceeding was a presentation of Opie Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Opie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? What do you get when you hear a celebrity Minutiaman interview, Dave? Rick, think of Dan Rather and Bill Maher having a kid. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. So you'll get Minutia. Right. What does a Damone from Fast Times at Ridgemont High really think about the movie? Only right? one place to find out, and that's Celebrity Minutiaman Interview, a Tony Lasano podcast. Go to opishows.com or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Minutia. Fits. And that'll do it for this episode of Chicago Writes, the podcast of the Chicago Writers Association. Before we wrap up this episode of Chicago Writes, a few more announcements. You are invited to join us at the 12th Annual Book of the Year Award Ceremony on January 21st, 2023 at 7 p.m. at the Bookseller, 4736 North Lincoln Avenue in Chicago. The Chicago Writers Association is a creative community of Chicagoland writers established in 2003 and federally registered as a 501c3 nonprofit organization in 2008. We span many genres, styles, and levels of experience. Our purpose is to share information, experiences, and encouragement with those of us for whom written expression is an integral part of life. Stay updated on CWA News and events by clicking the links in the notes below. And like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-the-minute notifications as well as a connection with our growing community of authors, writers, and poets. Links to our featured guests are in the notes below as well as links to the Chicago Writers Association. I'm your host, W.C. Turk. Support this podcast by simply clicking the subscribe button to receive notification about all of our upcoming episodes, upcoming events, and programs from the Chicago Writers Association, chicagorights.org. Our theme song, Midnight Ride, is courtesy of Dino Olovchich. Find Dino's music on YouTube and on Spotify. And from all of us here at CWA, we wish you a loving and warm holiday season, a Merry Christmas, and a fruitful New Year.